Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. You guys looking great? I uh, hope you're feeling great. It's been a while since we met, but we're meeting here. Last time we met kind of face-to-face for most of you was at the vigil. And then after that, like we had communion together. It's been great um, just uh, navigating through this time with you guys, actually. You know, I just want to give a shout out to you guys who are parents doing HBO at home uh, and also uh, doing Gush Kids at home. Just want to say that this time, I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel the saintliness of teachers. Okay, and just at the same time, though, um, it's been great just watching uh, how our kids learn and what they're learning. Some of the things I didn't know that they learned, uh, for example, what they learned in P1 and, and what Meme is learning in, in K1. It's been great. Uh, it's a great opportunity to kind of observe um, that interaction also with their classmates, with the teachers. And I think for Gush kids at home, I also want to say as parents, you know, it's not, uh, I mean, we're, we're struggling as well, but as an encouragement and, 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 and not specifically to anyone, but just as an encouragement for, for us parents, right? I think what really matters and means a lot is for the kids to see how mommy and daddy are working with Gush teachers to, to work together to disciple them. And I, I think at any time, maybe they didn't see this as much before. So this is really a great chance for them to see that mommy and daddy cares. And as we disciple, we do our best. And sometimes we fail, sometimes we do great. Um, whatever it is, just let's plot on in every week. And it's going to get better. And the kids are going to get used to it more and more. And they're going to be creativity that God gives us and a, a determination to see this together with our kids through. And to even not just those with kids, I mean, those without and those who are singles or not, not having kids or not married, whatever life stage we're at, I just want to say that during this time, uh, it's a great opportunity. So whatever that you're putting your hand to, don't give up, keep going at it and uh, uh, you get used to it. We're getting used to new norms, right? So this morning, I feel we're led to direct our attention to a specific passage in the book of Luke. So if you've got your Bibles with you, Say yes. Whatever Bible, hard copy is preferred, but whatever Bible, Luke, uh, turn with me to Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at Luke 6. So we're looking at Luke 6, verses 46 to 49. Now, uh, it's going to be up on screen. The version will be NIV. I'd love for you to read aloud wherever you're sitting, okay? Just read with me. Luke 6, verse 46 to 49. Ready? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. All right, let's pray before we go on. Father God, we are thankful that uh, even as we look at your word, uh, we hear it read aloud and we ask that our hearts, uh, even as we turn our hearts towards you, 
God, that you would speak to us. Let our ears be ever so attentive and it brings about a response of faith and obedience from within towards you, that we may be more like you. Us and those with us, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now you've read that passage, okay? So for literary context, just so we understand a little bit more, is to take note what proceeds just before this text, okay? And that matters, uh, especially when we take note there's a similar, almost like a mirror account in the book of Matthew, okay? So in the book of Matthew chapter 7, there is the same passage talking about these two builders as well, right? Now, in both accounts, in the Matthew one and the Luke one, both would show you that this was uh, told by Jesus quite soon after he had just finished this grand teaching time, which we know as Sermon on the Mount, okay? Where he covered a bunch of topics and, you know, thousands have heard him. So just before these two builders was a crowd that heard him teaching a bunch of things, right? And then what follows for both passages is a little different. Uh, there is the faith of the centurion for Luke, and then for the book of Matthew, it segues a bit on the man with leprosy before it goes back to the faith of the centurion, okay? But noteworthy is that both what precedes is the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Now, after that sermon, and for both accounts, there is one specific part just before what we just read, okay? And that's where Jesus taught about a tree and its fruit. Now, what happened? In this passage, Jesus was talking about no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. And so the verse just before the building passage is this familiar phrase, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks, right? Now in the Matthew one, it is also about this tree, but it, it fleshes it out even a bit more, okay? We'll see whether we have time to get a little bit into that. Now, a tree is recognized by its fruit. Luke chapter 6, verse 44a tells us. And then in the book of Matthew, it tells us also that uh, a tree, by their fruit, you will recognize them, right? In verse 20, Matthew 7. Now, what is the essence of this is that you get a sense that what comes, uh, what comes out of a mouth is because of what's in a heart, right? So what is in our hearts is what's key, right? Now hold that thought, and then uh, we will allude to that a little after this. So then we come to this story about these two builders, right? In this context, which is strongly linked to the fruit tree bit, right? Now, why? Because the fruit tree bit talks about the issue of the heart. And then the building one shows us a very foundational truth as well. Now, focus on the builder passage, okay, a little bit more, and I hope it's gonna make sense as we go along, okay? Now, before we can understand what is contrasted in uh, these two builders, builder one, builder two, we first gotta know what's similar about them, okay? And for the most part, and the Luke, seven, Luke 6 version compared to the Matthew one is actually a scaled down version with lots of little details that are not there than the other gospel but in this passage 
you can already see so many things are similar between the two builders. For one, let's start with, they both want to build a house. Okay, so there is the same goal. It's not an issue of one guy wants to build a house and the other doesn't want, but both want to build a house. Okay, so that's one similar. And then you see also that both have the same materials, most likely, right? Uh, the fact that both had the same flood happen to them means that they were probably pretty proximate, right, in the same location. Likely they have the same kind of wood, same kind of materials, whatever. So they have the same resources, okay? So same goal, same resources. And, you know, the child, like the, the kid story that we always hear about, the three little pigs, this is different because the three little pigs talks about different materials, right? So there is the pig that builds a house with straw and then builds a house with wood and then the guy, that, the pig that builds the house with bricks. But this is not the case. They're likely building with the same materials, right? So same goals, same materials. And then you get the sense that most likely both would be able to build the house similarly well, right? It's not a story about one guy can build very well, so his house is better, and then the other guy cannot even nail a nail in straight, and so his house fell down. It's not. It is that they're both slightly competent builders, and Jesus would understand that because he is also somewhat of a builder. So they're both competent, they're able to. So their workmanship is similar, they have the same goal, and they have the same resources. And on top of that, what else you see is the same for these two builders is something in their environment is that they both had the flood. So it's not one guy had the tornado and then the other had like flash flood. Both had the same flood happen to them, but the outcome was different, right? So what was the contrasting point? We're going to point our attention to verse 47 and 49 a bit more. 47 says, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. Okay, verse 47. Verse 49, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without the foundation. That's the contrast point right there. That's the huge difference in the whole story. Okay, man one or builder one he hears and then he does. Or in some translations, he acts on my words or my sayings, Jesus says. Builder number two, he hears, does he do? No. He does not do, does he act on them? No. No action. So again, you would know Jesus is alluding that it's like both heard, but not both did, right? And again, this is where the context came in. This is why I, I highlighted that, is that before this, this crowd had spent a lot of time hearing Jesus' teaching, you know. They were hearing the same teachings, young, old, different genders. The question is, which kind of builder are you? Is Jesus essentially asking? Everyone here heard my teaching, Jesus is saying. Now, whoever goes and does them, that's the foundation I want, right? And it's not even an issue of the second builder building on a weaker foundation or a soft foundation. He literally had 
no foundation. And so that's why you see the moment, okay, uh, in the NIV version or some version says immediately, okay, the moment the flood struck it, it collapsed. Like it's not even half collapsed. The entire thing falls out. There is no foundation. So to hear and not obey is not having some foundation or a little bit of foundation. It's no foundation. Both men heard same source of teaching, but not both had the same outcome. The floods didn't exempt either of the men, right? Both came under the same environmental condition, the circumstance, and it didn't take much to collapse that house. Just like circumstances we face in life, really, if we think about it, church, is that it often exacerbates existing flaws or problems that are in our structure, isn't it? Whatever structure, whatever you consider as your structure, or whatever, um, you know, internal character issues, when, we, when, when something happens and it's hard enough, cracks will ha happen, right? Or things will fall down. Jesus' teachings to them is his way of not just, hey, you've heard a whole bunch. Now, are you going to do it? He's calling for a totality of obedience. Now, we understand that in their day, in Jesus' day, to be a rabbi is not merely to teach knowledge. You're not just giving information. It is demonstrating and calling those who follow the rabbi to a way of life. Just like he lived, so they lived, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, enough hearing. Now let's hear and do. Jesus' lordship, basically what he's saying is, if you call me Lord, it's proven by you doing what I say. And that is true allegiance to my lordship. If I am to be Lord, Lord, and you're going to call me that, then why don't you do what I say, Jesus says. Now draw your attention to the three verbs in 47. Jesus says, I show you what he is like, who what comes to me, hears my words, and puts them into practice. Come to Jesus, hear, and then practice. Now, when Jesus talked about a tree with its fruit, he talked about out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Now think of it, or imagine this kind of with me, okay? When we come, we come and say, Jesus, I give you my heart, right? And then we hear Jesus' teachings, we're being taught, we read the Bible, we uh, worship and, and together, we are part of LG, we do our Bible study, we pray, and all these things, the spiritual disciplines, we begin to hear and know the Word of God more, right? And hearing relates to speech, right? So Jesus says, when you come and hear me and put into practice. So what comes out of the mouth is proceeding in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then not only that, because it's not just what we say, it's also what we do, right? So there is a totality of Jesus' Lordship when our obedience is total. How? By coming, hearing, and putting into practice, by engaging the heart, the speech, and our actions. Do you see the totality here? So it's when we engage our heart, out of that abundance, our mouth will speak, and then our actions must be commensurate with what we say about Jesus, 
and what we say we believe, right? So that totality is true obedience. That is what it means to follow Jesus. So we know we're, many of us are familiar with Proverbs 4.23, right? And it says there that guard your heart above all else, for out of that flows all the issues of life, right? And the heart being the command center of a life that desires to follow Jesus, of our life of obedience, the heart is our command center. And it is more than just following instructions, submitting to authority. No, it's not that. It is an obedience that's out of the heart. And that obedience, actually, I think nowadays it sounds a little bit like uh, it's a not nice word. It's unpleasant. It's like um, the word accountability or um, commitment. Uh, it's a little uncomfortable, right, when we, when we really weigh in on it. But obedience is what Jesus is harping on here because he understands that among so many that heard him, not all of them are going to truly follow. Why? So I think it boils down to a trust. Because we can hear and be impressed with someone's teachings and what they're saying or even their lifestyle and desire to emulate them. But then when there's no trust relationship, it's very hard to obey. Track with me a little bit as I bring you through Hebrews 10 through to 12, okay? It's not very long. I'm just going to highlight different things. Um, if you can turn over to Hebrews 10, we'll start from there. From a verse that's been used very often lately, Hebrews 10, 25. Now, here it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day what? The day of his return, right? The second advent. And it goes on in this passage 10 to say in verse 37, For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now chapter 11 then goes on what we call sometimes the hall of faith, right? Or in some translations, the subheading there for chapter 11 is faith in action. So then you see this connection between those who will not shrink back, but will press on and live by faith. It is faith of what kind? It is faith that is in action. So then verse 12 goes on, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that entangles, and the sin that entangles us, run. Okay? Throw that off, keep going. Verse 3, Consider him who endured opposition, so you will not grow weary. And then it goes on to expound on hardship and going through discipline, even by God. And then we come to this part. Now, uh, chapter 12, verse 28. Sorry, go to 27, right? Hebrews 12, 27, it says, The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming 
fire. Now, I bring up this passage because as I was preparing, I just felt God really say, hey, you know, impressing on my heart, would you remember we are approaching the last day, or rather the last day is approaching us. And even as the last day is approaching, let us not give up meeting, right? Let us not give up encouraging each other. Why? So that we will not grow weary. We will continue to run the race. Why? Because there will come the time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And what remains is only what God wants to remain. And it reminds me back to this passage in Luke 7 that the house struck by the flood in verse 48 could not be shaken by the flood. It could not because it was well built. Now, if we know and understand the times we're living in, guys, it is not just this outbreak that is shaking our foundations or shaking whether we have even a foundation, church. It is this time and season in the last days. This is just but one, right? There are many things. We've already been in crisis of many kinds since Jesus came the first and ascended. It is nothing new under the sun. And whatever that can be shaken, God is going to shake. What is the biggest crisis? And I think many pastors and leaders would agree it is a discipleship problem. We have a discipleship crisis. We have bunch and, and, and tons of us following Jesus, we come, we hear, what is the contrast? Do we do? That is our discipleship problem. Question is, which builder is it? Being a disciple is more than admiring Christ, right? I've already mentioned, or imitating his example, although that is part of discipleship. It must cost us something. And I sense there's God just calling us to return to many things even in our discipleship, right? It must cause us something and it must take great effort because there's no shortcut to building foundation. And it's going to long drawn over a period of time for our whole lives, right? That is what it means to follow Jesus. There is God's grace to become like Christ when it costs us something and it takes effort over a long period of time. Now, Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. What is it opposed to? It's opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. There is effort required in following Jesus. Otherwise, there are not those who would leave him. How can we spur each other to hear and do the word of God? Not just moral code, not just do's and don'ts, but an allegiance to Jesus that is based on reverential affection because of who he is to us. Now, let me tell you, oftentimes at home, a very common scene is me telling the kids or reminding them to do something. I've already reminded hundreds of times, sometimes maybe not a hundred times, but still, often enough, right? So I'll say, hey, you know, did you do this or not? Hey, you forgot to do this. And because the younger one learns from the older one, so soon both of them have learned to sometimes respond like this. I know, I know, okay? And I have learned, I don't know, call me if you have an issue, but I've learned to respond to them and say, no, you don't know because you didn't do it. And every time I say that, and I'm not kidding, and it happens 
almost every day, or if not every day. This happens every day, so it, it, it reminds me whenever I say back to them, you don't know, because if you really know, you would do it. And it's kind of true. It's like a discipleship reminder for me every day. It's like my, you know, contemplative moment right there. Now, the, now there's something that is significant that God also drew my attention to as I looked at this passage. And I hope you're tracking so far. Are you guys okay? Great. Deuteronomy 6, verse 45. Some of you no need to turn. You already know what that is. In which case, good for you. Deuteronomy 6 is a very important passage uh, about the life of the people of Israel as God's people. Right? Deuteronomy 6, 45 is the passage where we find what's commonly known as the Shema prayer. Right? This passage reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now the Shema, and many of you would have already kind of heard this before or studied it, really means a lot more. There is no really Hebrew word for obey, but Shema is primarily simplistically listen, but it's more than that. It is listen, focus, register, internalize, pay attention, respond, all of that. All of that, imagine that, that is Shema. Okay, so in Exodus 19 verse 5, actually it says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people. And you see here, actually, what's significant is Exodus 19.5 repeats the word Shema twice. If you Shema Shema my voice and keep my covenant. It's almost God saying, like, if you really listen. And it has to, it is, so this word is tied to keeping covenant with God. Doesn't it remind you of that phrase Jesus often says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? If you love me, you would obey my word. Nawin says in a very fascinating uh, 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 paragraph, it says that the word listen in Latin is odir. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correct, or odir, right? If we listen with full attention in which we are totally geared to listen, it's called ob odir. And that's where the word obedience comes from ob odir jesus is the obedient one that means he is total ear all ears like how we say it totally open to the love of god and if we are closed and to the degree that we are closed we are surdus that is the latin word for deaf the more deaf we get the more absurdist which is like absurd right Henry uh, now says this about the origin, and, and it's true. So the origin of that word, and it's tied to obedience, listening, doing. When you hear, it is not just sound waves. It is listening, focus, pay attention, respond, registering, internalizing, really knowing, and doing, obeying, keeping covenant. More than anything, Israel's relationship with God is actually based on the ear. 
people of Israel was a culture of ear. Now with a lot of the ways that we're educated, we learn things like insight, hindsight, foresight. When we think we understand something, our response is not, oh, I hear. No, it's not. What is it? I see, right? It's very visual focus, and this has tied to like roots and, and Greek uh, way of philosophy and education, seeing. But for the Jewish people, it is a culture of the ear. And so much so, think with me, uh, and this is described by this guy called Jonathan Sachs, uh, which is a rabbi who you know, writes this brilliant blog. When the people, uh, when the people uh, and, and Moses were at Mount Sinai, so then what happens was then Moses met with the Lord, right? And he comes down and the people were at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they say to Moses, we will obey everything that the Lord has spoken, right? Not the Lord, that the Lord has shown, but every, everything that the Lord has spoken. So then Moses takes the people's words and then he goes and meets with God and says, the people say that they will do and follow all that you have said, right? And then God says, well, yeah, tell them that they will hear a sound, a voice speaking to you, right? Although they may not see. So you get the sense that God cannot be seen so much as he can be heard, right? So the people of Israel definitely heard God, right? Rather than saw God. Think about Elijah, the prophet Elijah. How did he hear when not in the wind, uh, not in the big fire or anything? How did he hear God? A still small voice. What about Samuel when he was a kid, right? When God was instilling his call in his life? Samuel, right? Three times God called Samuel and he heard the Lord. What about, think about Jesus' baptism, right? When Jesus came up out of the water, a dove descended and then they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. What about Apostle Paul when he was on the road to Damascus? What happened to him? He was struck down blind. He heard, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Enough examples. Think John 10.10, 10, right? Or the whole passage in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. God loves speaking. He loves us to hear, not just hear, but a response from his people when we hear his voice. That rock that is spoken about in this passage that we read about the building, now we know Jesus is the true foundation of our faith. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we also see uh, phrases that says, God is the rock of my salvation. He is the rock of my refuge, yada, yada. How do we build our lives? What do we build our lives on really when we say we follow Jesus and we hear him and we put his words into practice? We are building our lives really on the trust that Jesus loves us and we obey. So we're building our lives on the foundation of love and obedience out of a relationship with him. Because when you have a conversation with someone you can hear, we're engaging in relationship. It is an issue of not just seeing or feeling or what, but it is engaging in communication, of intimacy, of relating with each other. The wise men heard and acted. That is an example of a follower who hears and acts the way of Jesus. So if you love me, you will 
you will obey my commands. So our obedience doesn't earn God's love, but God cares about our obedience. This is an important distinction as we come to a close. C.S. Lewis says this in here, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. So if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. In our obedience, which is based on the affection and the love and trust we have in relationship with Jesus, when we act on his word, when we put into practice, not perfectly, because we're not, but when we do that in obedience, right, we are being shaped as his disciples who begin to look more and more like him so that the totality of his lordship begins to really empower the totality of our obedience. And in, in, in doing so, we become Christ-like, not thinking our way into it, but behaving our way into it, right? Because we are in obedience to Christ. Now, this passage, even as I was preparing this, I just really felt God challenge me, and I hope that it challenges you as well. What are we building our foundation on today? Now, as a church, there are many things we do together, and that's great. There are many things we are, are doing that are different during this time, just to stay in touch and be connected and build each other up and support each other, strengthen through words of encouragement, prayers, the daily, all sorts of things. We're doing many in all these things. It's great. And, and I just want to say that undergirding all of that, what we really want to pay attention is how we are coming to Jesus and how we are really hearing not just sound waves, but we're really hearing Him. What is the heart of Jesus for us at this time? For our church, for you, what are we hearing? And what is the response of obedience from us to Him? Because we cannot just hear and not do. But He calls us to hear and put into practice what we hear. And then only then do we truly understand and enter into a richer relationship with Jesus, who is our Lord. And I want to invite and challenge you today to give this serious thought. Even in the days that you are carving out some structure and schedule in your homes, and me too, there are many things we fill our hours with, or perhaps even with intentional times of rest and leisure. Of course, that's great. And intentional hours of activity or um, productivity. All that is great. Now, weaving into all that, may we be growing as a community who are obedient and so that when storms come and we're ready for it, uh, we will stand the test and we will know that we're ready even as the last day approaches. Shall we pray? Yeah. Would you bow your heads and I'll just lead us in a, in a time of just thought and, and, and prayer response to God.
Father, we just really appreciate that you are so involved in every aspect of our lives. And we know, God, even at this time, where each of us are at in our, in our walk with you, you know. And this morning, although there's no specific uh, call to action per se, and yet we know you're challenging us in this time to, to take stock and take a real good look. The number of years or weeks or days we've followed you doesn't matter but it matters that we are obeying you. Jesus, even at this time, even understanding the times we are living in, God, how are we obeying you? Would you speak to each of us, wherever we are, in our homes, all across? Would you speak to us? And would we hear those who have ears? We listen. And God, we pray that you help us to, to see and hear and really, really understand all that you teach us. Not mentally, but understand as we obey, as we seek to please you, not to earn, but to demonstrate that we know how much you love us and in our doing in our putting into practice it is an expression that we want to grow in love for you and for all things and the people that you love and so this morning we say teach us and give us a love for your word like never before me and everyone that's hearing this right now if it would help just for a moment, just focus. Whatever you use to refer to the Bible, either it's your phone or your hard copy Bible, would you hold it and just say, God, in your own way, in your own words, tell Him the desire of your heart for His Word in your life. God, we pray of the many things <laughs> that are new right now in the world, we ask above all a new fire and passion and hunger for your word like never before. That it fuels a devotion and an affection-based obedience to you that cannot be put out, that cannot be shaken no matter what. And we pray this to go deep and to truly impact our lives, our households, our family, our friends, and even strangers everywhere. In Jesus' name, we love you and pray. Amen.